Well, good morning, Redemption. Hey, it's good to see you all. Um, As always, love being with you guys, opening God's word together, worshiping Jesus together. Uh, My name is John. I'm one of your pastors here, and I'm excited as we continue in God's word. We're continuing our series on our core values as a church family at Redemption Tempe this morning. Well, Marike and I had just gotten married, and the day after we got married, we flew up to the Pacific Northwest for our honeymoon, and we landed in Seattle. We were in Seattle for a part of our honeymoon. And it was a Sunday morning, and we decided, hey, it would be really cool if we went to church together for the first time as a married couple. And so we found a church in Seattle, and we went to the church. We didn't know anybody in the church. We showed up, we sat down, and the service began, and then they got to the thing that we just did, right? The passing of the peace, the awkward greeting time that Brandon just made not awkward, and where you turn to your neighbor and you say hello. And uh, the couple that was sitting in front of Mariah and I, they turned around, they introduced themselves, and they were like very genuine and kind to us. And they just started asking questions about us. And they found out very quickly that, hey, we had just gotten married. We were newlyweds on our honeymoon and we were visiting Seattle. And so they said, oh my gosh, well, we would love to take you out to lunch after this service. And Mariah and I were kind of like taken back, you know? And we reluctantly said yes to them. Um, But then as the service continued and we sat down, I remember Mariah and I leaning over to each other and we're like, this might be a terrible idea. (laughs) Like, this could be the worst thing we've ever done in our lives because they might kill us. We're in the Pacific Northwest. It looks like a cloudy overcast day. It's a great day to be murdered. We have no idea what's going to happen to us. And in that, we also said, but this also might be really amazing. And so with our reluctant yes, we met up with them after service, They told us the local restaurant to go to, and we went to lunch with this couple. We spent about two hours with them, and it was amazing. It was an amazing time. And as Marike and I left the restaurant, we began talking, and it hit us. We realized how impactful this experience had been for us. And as we got into the car to drive away, Marike and I both said, you know what, we want to find a local church back home like this. And not only that, we want to be like these people because they treated us like family. But what is it about that experience of when you've been treated like family that is so meaningful? As we come to our passage this morning, this is an important passage It's an important passage for me. It's an important passage for our church because over a year ago, as I was spending time with the Lord praying for our church, God gave me this passage of scripture and I didn't know what it meant at the time. I shared it with our elders and church leaders, but for the last year, I've been praying this passage specifically for our church. And it's an important passage because it reveals why that experience of being treated like family is so meaningful. It's because this is the way the church is meant to live, like family. Open your Bibles, get out your app to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're looking at verses 7 to 10 this morning. Peter writes this, he says, 
the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So we're jumping into 1 Peter. Peter is one of Jesus' disciples. He's an apostle. He is one of the leaders in the early church. And he writes this to a bunch of churches, communities of Christians that are scattered all throughout the region of Pontus, Galatia, Asia, all these different areas. He's writing to all these churches. And he says here in verse 7, he says, the end of all things is at hand, which you're wondering Dang, John, you've been praying for this, this passage for a year for our church. This is a doomsday passage for us. But what Peter is getting at here, the word for end is also translated goal. It's the goal in which something is headed. And for Peter, Peter is talking about that all things are ready for Christ's return and rule. In the biblical story, all of the previous acts of the story have been completed except for the final act of restoration when Jesus comes back to make all things new. And so Peter is writing to these churches to say, hey, live in anticipation for the return of Jesus. And much of Peter's letter here in 1 Peter is written to Christians about the hostility that they face from outsiders living as Christians in the world. And there's a call to suffer for Christ all throughout 1 Peter. But here, Peter shifts in these verses, chapter 4, 7 to 10. Peter now shifts, and he's not speaking about how to live among outsiders and hostility. He's now speaking about how to live as insiders, one another, as Christians, as family members. Peter is saying, this is how you live among each other. This is how you live like family. And what Peter says here in verse nine, he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And the first thing that Peter says here is live like family by welcoming each other, by welcoming. So show hospitality. This practice of hospitality was a valued practice in the ancient world, but it was very much so a valued practice for the early church because of traveling teachers and missionaries and servants of the gospel. So throughout many of the New Testament letters, we see this call for God's people to be hospitable and practice hospitality. But there's something interesting here is that this word hospitality in the original language is an adjective, that it is important for us to draw this out because it's describing who they are, not just what they do. This is a posture that reflects God's hospitable posture. It's a posture of welcoming. When we hear hospitality in our society today, we think of somebody that throws a Super Bowl party or a bridal shower or something like that, right? Somebody that hosts a party and says, oh, they're so hospitable. Well, maybe not because you can host a party and do it with grumbling, which Peter says, not to do it with grumbling. But just because you host a party doesn't mean that you are hospitable. Biblical hospitality, the definition is intentionally making room to give of yourself and receive the other person. And so when we think about hospitality, there's all these caricatures, right? We think about Pinterest. We think about a spotless, clean house. We can think about an amazing charcuterie board. 
And hear me, you can offer those things and not offer yourself. You can offer these things and still not be hospitable. Hospitality is a welcoming posture. Marike and I flew back from the Pacific Northwest from our honeymoon. We got back on a Saturday. The next day was a Sunday, and we had said, hey, we want to try to find a local church like this, what we had experienced. And the day after we got back from our honeymoon, we found ourselves at this church for the first time, sitting in this sanctuary for the first time, sitting in the second to last row in the middle back section right back there for the first time. We didn't know anybody. We knew one person, my sister-in-law. She was a part of the church at the time. And I remember we, we liked the church, right? We liked the music. We liked the preaching. But we wanted community. We wanted to experience family. And so we said, hey, we'll, we'll go back another time. And so we came back a second time. And then our third time, our third time that we came here, on our way out in the lobby, a guy named Jason Raber saw us. Jeez, man, I thought I was going to tell jokes. I'm going to get emotional. Ah, ah, a guy named Jason Raber saw us. And Jason, if you don't know Jason, Jason is a founding elder here. He's been here since day one of this church. And Jason saw Mariah and I on the way out. And he didn't just see us, but he talked to us. And Jason didn't just talk to us, but then he invited us to their community group, their redemption community, back before they were called redemption communities. And Jason extended welcoming to us. And for Mariah and I, it took a lot of courage because when a guy that looks like this, Mar from Home Alone, which we'll have up here, here he is, <laughs> Jason Raber, when a guy invites you to his house and he looks like this, you gotta be a little hesitant. Jason is growing his hair out, so he looks like Marv. Um, his staff photo, he looks much more clean cut, but Jason looks like Marv. So it took some courage for us to take him up on his invite, but we took him up on his invite. We came to their community group. We met Kate Raber as well, and the Rabers welcomed us in with a posture of welcoming. And I share this because the Rabers welcoming us changed our lives and changed my life. The reason why I am here today, the reason why I'm a pastor here and the reason why we are a part of this church is because they welcomed us. I have been discipled and shaped as a follower of Jesus, as a man, as a husband, as a father, because they welcomed us. Marika and I have learned healthy Christian community because they welcomed us. We have had people throughout the years help us move, celebrate the birth of our boys and new life, grieve with us through miscarriage and loss, pray with us through trials in life, talk about serious questions and doubt that we have, sharing meals together over a dinner table, laughing together, all because the Ravers welcomed us. 
Well, my question for you this morning is, what is your posture towards others? Is it welcoming or is it withholding? Do you have eyes to see people and a willingness to welcome other people like the ravers welcomed us? Because this is important today. Maybe the most important thing because there is a need for friendship and there is a need for community now more than ever in our cultural moment. It is possibly, quite possibly, the thing that, peeps, that keeps people here at this church. And here's the reason why. You cannot download friendship, you cannot download community, and you definitely cannot download family, even if your Peloton, Peloton instructor tells you you can. You can't. <laughs> But here's what you can download. You can download theology. You can download sermons. You can download cultural commentary. You can download life hacks, but you cannot download community and you cannot download family. But there is a longing to belong. You know what it's like to wanna to belong. You feel that desire, you have felt that desire to want to belong, and it's not just you, it is every single person in the room. So we can just name the awkward thing. As you look around, all of us want to belong. In the same way that Marike and I, when we came here, we wanted to belong. But as you sit here, hearing this, you might be asking yourself, well, why am I not welcomed like that? And my question for you is, are you welcoming like that? Because if you are, you will experience welcoming. And this is important for our church, located in Tempe, a very transient community. People come and go all the time for school, grad school, moving here all the time. Our city is growing. And people are always coming to this church new, looking for ways to connect, looking for belonging, and that is a gift, and it's a blessing, but what that means is that there are people sitting here in this room today who are hoping that someone will notice them, hoping that someone will welcome them. But the other reason why this is so important for us is that there is a massive evangelistic opportunity for us. When we live like family, it is attractive to the watching world because everyone, whether you believe in Jesus or not, everyone is longing to belong. And for many people who don't yet know Jesus or believe in Jesus, they need to belong before they believe. And when we live like family, with a welcoming posture towards others, it provides a unique opportunity for us to love our non-Christian neighbors and maybe we will get the joy of seeing the family of God grow through people placing their faith in Jesus for the first time. In what we're gonna get to see after service with baptism party as a ton of people have professed faith in Jesus and are gonna get baptized after this service. Yes. But the question is, how can we welcome like this? Peter says in verse eight, he says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. The next thing Peter says here is live like family by committing to each other, committing. 
It says, love one another earnestly. This love that Peter is talking about is far more than a feeling. This love is an unceasing love. It's a loyal love. It is a committed love. It is not love in a sense that's transactional. It's not a contractual type of love. It is a committed love. It's committed through thick and thin. It's committed through the good and bad. It's committed through disagreements, through personality clashes, through political preferences, through parenting styles, and all the different things that we could name. This is a love that commits to one another. And Peter says here in verse eight, above all, love one another, above all. Because to Peter, this is the most important thing because everything else that you will do hinges upon the way you love one another. So Peter writes this to these churches because he's addressing how they approach relationships within the church community. He wants them to be committed to one another like family. And for some of you, as you hear this, it raises significant questions, right? You're saying, ah, the church is family. Man, this, this sounds a little weird. This sounds like something I saw on a Netflix documentary about a cult leader who was saying, we are family, right? Is this some cult leader stuff where you get the manipulative leader that's trying to use the we are family language to control people? Next thing you know, all of a sudden you need their permission to buy something, right? No, it's not that. That is not what Peter's saying. But for others of you, this raises question because family is a source of pain in your story. And for some of you, your family of origin has brokenness, significant brokenness, and you have messy family dynamics. And so when you hear the church as family, it may be uncomfortable for you. Now hear me, that's real. But what Peter is painting here is Peter is painting a picture of God's design and God's desire for the church. And it is an invitation and an opportunity to experience a new version of family, a redemptive version of family that is bound together by the blood of Jesus. This family is committed to each other with a loyal love that does not bail on one another because Jesus didn't bail on us. And it is this committed love that Peter says here covers a multitude of sins. Peter's not talking about atoning for sins. The way we love one another doesn't atone for sins. Only the blood of Jesus does that. But what he is talking about is when you are committed to one another in love, it has the ability to cover a multitude of sins. Peter is referring here to Old Testament wisdom literature in the Proverbs. Most likely it's Proverbs 10 verse 12 he has in mind here that says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. This kind of love doesn't stir up strife like hatred does as the Proverbs tell us. But this kind of love has the ability to overcome sin because it provides the space for grace to extend to the other person. As Marike and I took the Ravers up on their invitation to be a part of their community group, we started going and I remember that I had never seen or experienced a committed community like this, the way that they loved one another. And personally, I experienced their commitment to me. Because 14 years ago, I was 24 years old, and Raber and all of the other people in their community group 
could have and probably should have bailed on me. Because as a 24-year-old, I was an arrogant theology nerd that would talk all the time, and I would gladly tell you about 13 theology books that you should read in order to prove why you're wrong. (laughs) And I was the guy that would talk way too much. To which, if any of you guys have ever gone through community launch class, I always give this scenario of, hey, there might be a guy in your community that's a, you know, a know-it-all and talks way too much. Now you guys know why I give that example. That was me in the Ravers RC. <laughs> and yet, a few years into our friendship, I remember Jason told me his initial assessment of me. He said, yeah, I thought you were pretty into yourself. And I was like, yeah, you were right, you know? He was right. But here's the thing. They didn't bail on me. Raber didn't bail on me. They were committed to me, and Raber became a spiritual big brother to me and still is to this day. But I wonder for you, how do you approach relationships in the church? Do you approach them as a contract or as a commitment? Because a contract is a transaction. And if you're approaching relationships as a transaction, you are approaching it with a what can I get mindset? What's the best thing for me? And here's the thing, you and I have all been shaped by a transactional society where we have been trained and shaped to view relationships as transactions where we think with a what's in it for me mentality. But this is very different than how God is calling you to approach relationships with one another within the church. And this is crucial because if you approach relationships as transactions in the church, it is not going to cover a multitude of sins like Peter says here, it will only multiply a multitude of sins. Because if you bail on the person or if you bail on the community or if you bail on the church family when it is hard, when it's not ideal, when it's frustrating for you, when it's uncomfortable for you, it will only stir up strife, like the Proverbs say. It'll stir up strife, it'll stir up bitterness, it'll stir up gossip and slander and division and so on and so on and so on. But if you commit to one another, the way that Peter is talking about here, God uses that commitment as the fertile soil for your formation to grow you and to grow the other person to make you more like Jesus. Your commitment to love someone creates the possibility for the redemptive family to function the way that God intends it. And so when Joe makes you mad because he said something or he's acting in a way that bothers you during your prayer and action group, When Joe makes you mad, you could bail on him. But if you don't bail on Joe, not only will Joe be blessed, but it gives the space for God's grace to grow him, to work on him, to work in his life. And maybe for Joe, it might be just the source of healing in his life and his story because maybe everybody else has bailed on him in his life. But it's not just a blessing For Joe, if you don't bail on him, it's a blessing for you because God will meet you in that and God is going to work in your life and grow you through that commitment as well. But if you commit to each other like this, 
what else can happen? Peter says in verse 10, he says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And the last thing that Peter says here is live like family by contributing to the family, contributing. Peter says, hey, you all have been given gifts from God out of his grace. He's reminding God's people of God's generous initiative towards them, that God is gracious and he gives gifts to the church. But these gracious gifts are given not for the purpose of hoarding for ourselves, not for the purpose of accumulating more for ourselves, but these gifts are given for the purpose of serving, serving one another, contributing to the family that they are committed to oftentimes talk about this as the difference between a restaurant and a potluck. Now, when you go to a restaurant, the primary purpose of going to eat at a restaurant is to consume. But there's a difference with a potluck because you're going to a potluck not just to consume and eat food, but to contribute something. Because what is the first question that you ask when you get invited to a potluck? What can I bring? What can I bring? Because you're going with a contribution, a contributor mindset. See, what Peter is saying here is God has given you something to bring to the potluck. You have been given a gift to contribute to the family. One of the most impactful things from our time in the Raber RC was not just seeing the commitment of the community, but we were so impacted by the way that they led and interacted that we said, hey, we would love to lead, a, uh, lead one of these. And so the Ravers launched us out. We started leading a redemption community. We've led RCs now for the last 13 years. And the most amazing part of leading RCs for that period of time is that we have watched all of the various gifts that people have contributed to our communities that not only made our communities possible, but that made our communities feel like family. In that time, we've probably had around 125 different people come through our RCs in 13 years. And that's a lot of different people and that's a lot of different gifts that have been contributed. But here's the reality. If it was just the gifts that Marike and I could contribute for the RC, our RCs would have been pretty terrible. That's just the reality. But people contributed with the gifts that they had. And we've always eaten really well in our RCs because some people have the gifts of cooking and we've got the Yoshiokas in our RC right now and they're always making amazing food and Rich Riddell, he's got a smoker so he's smoking meat. Our RC eats well, if you can't tell. But that's been throughout history of 13 years. People have gifts of making food, but also people with the gifts of hospitality who have opened their homes and welcomed. People who have the gift of being able to build things and repair things in homes, and so being able to help one another out when things break. We've had people when it comes to moving that have a gift of like, when it comes to a U-Haul truck, it's like playing Tetris and they can pack that thing like it's Tetris. We've had people who love watching kids and babysitting, gifts of music and singing in our RCs, 
People have gifts of coaching and financial advising and nutrition and then gifts of leadership. And it's been amazing to see these people contribute and even people with the gifts of leadership who have said, hey, we would love to lead one of these to continue to make space for family culture. And so Eric and Amy Ludwig started leading an RC and Robin, Steph Wolf and Tyler and Sam Wentz. These people said, hey, we wanna contribute and use our gifts of leadership to start more RCs. And it's been amazing because they've contributed. My question for you this morning is, what are the gifts that God has given you? And how can you use them to contribute to the family? Some of you are here and you're thinking, well, hey, I would love to contribute. That sounds awesome. But you don't think that you have anything to bring to contribute. Some of you might be thinking, well, hey, you know, maybe I do have something to contribute, but it's really not that big of a deal. It doesn't matter. Nobody's really gonna want me to bring that thing and contribute it to the community. But hear me, it matters. All of these things are the things that God has given you that you can contribute. And so for some of you, it might be that you make amazing buffalo chicken dip or that you play ultimate frisbees every Thursday ultimate frisbee every Thursday night or that you send encouraging text messages to people or you love watching kids you might have the gift of being able to fix people's cars for them maybe you're great at asking questions or some of you take really amazing sermon notes and they make them all artistic and beautiful others are you're great at praying for people in the moment Maybe you have a house that has a pool and it's heating up right now. Some of you have flexible work schedules where you have the ability to meet up with people throughout the week. These are all things that you can contribute to the family that create family culture within the church. Because hear me, church leadership, pastors and the church leaders here, we cannot create family culture. All we can do is create environments for family culture to happen, but family culture happens when you all use the gifts that God has given you to contribute to the family. And this is not just in redemption communities. I know I'm talking about the Raber RC, but this is in every ministry of the church. It's on Sunday mornings through serving and Sunday service teams. It's in redemption kids. It's through prayer ministry and worship. It is through prayer and action groups and our college and young adult ministries. All of these are arenas and environments for family culture to happen for you to contribute with the gifts that God has given you. Because the question is not if you have a gift. Peter says here, you do. What do you do with the gift you have and how are you using it to contribute? As we talk about family culture as one of our core values, we're gonna continue to have these conversations. And our upcoming first Wednesday in May is gonna be great. We're gonna do a first Wednesday on family culture. We're gonna be talking a little bit more about family culture. We've got Pita Jungle's food truck coming. We've got ice cream. We're gonna have games. And if my Phoenix Suns make it to the next round of the playoffs, yes, if the game is on Wednesday, we will have that game on the big screens in here for family culture. So hopefully, hopefully they, they, they do that. Um, but I wanna invite you guys all the first Wednesday, uh, it's the first Wednesday in May, it'll be great on family culture, it'll be a lot of fun. And so as Peter says here in these verses, 
tells the church to live like family. How can we actually do this? Because everything that I just said is very hard. And everything that I just said can be very messy. And everything that I just said goes against the grain of everything in our society. And you and I, we do not have the power to do this on our own and the rest of the world cannot do this either because you cannot give away what you have not received. You cannot give away what you have not received. But in Jesus, you have received the welcoming of God who extended the hospitality of God to you when you were a stranger and far off and he welcomed you into his family. In Jesus, you have received his commitment that Jesus is so committed to you that he showed his love for you by willingly going to the cross to suffer and it is his love that truly covers a multitude of sins. And it is in Jesus that you have received his contribution because Jesus did not come to consume, but he came to contribute and to contribute everything for your salvation because he did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Church, we can live like family because Jesus has made us family. Amen? And so as we get ready to take communion and come to the table this morning, the elements in communion represent this reality. That it's the bread that represents Christ's body that was freely given for us. And the wine or the juice represents Christ's blood that was shed for us. That it is through these elements and what they represent that we have been welcomed into the family of God. That we are now sons and daughters. And so this morning, as you partake of communion, celebrate the reality that we can live this way because of the work of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the letter that Peter wrote to these churches. And Lord, it didn't just speak to them back then, but Lord, it speaks to us today that your design and your desire for the church is that we would live as family, as brothers and sisters, that we could live out the one another's in scripture, but yet, Jesus, we know that it's hard. We know that it is uncomfortable, and so, Lord, we need grace. We need your spirit to fill us and empower us to live and love in this way. And so, Lord, I pray that you would convict us for ways that maybe we haven't been welcoming, for ways that we've treated relationships as transactions, for ways that we've just consumed and not contributed, but yet, Jesus, not that you would just convict us, but that you would invite us, Lord, that we would hear your invitation this morning to live as family. Lord, the way that you've called us to live, that we believe that it is in this way that we experience the abundant life of your kingdom. And so, Jesus, as we get to celebrate the, the 25 baptisms right after this, Lord, you have been doing amazing things, and we get to celebrate new life and new faith. And so, Lord, we just say thank you for that. We worship you because you're worthy. And, Lord, we pray that you continue to do more of that in the life of our church. It's in your name. Amen.